Hello, I'm Ora Gavrieli from Flowering Diamond Way, and this series is called What Makes Our Inner Work Work. And today, the telephone company men dig for gold. Okay. Just allowing for a few more people who are on their way in. So uh, we're meeting here today to talk about what makes our inner work work. And this is the first part of the series I'm planning. Um, so um, this actual part in the series, I gave it a rather uh, mysterious name. Uh, it's called The Telephone Company Men Dig for Gold. The Telephone Company Men Dig for Gold. Um, and that will be the, the this mystery will be explained uh, by the end of uh, our meeting. So now we're going to talk a little bit about um, fake work and actual work, and we're talking about inner work naturally. Um, so hello again to everybody listening live, and to those who will be watching and listening in the future. Um, the series is going to be an exploration of what makes the work, the inner work, actually work and what doesn't, uh, what's, what really is inner work that can change us and change our lives for the better and how to recognize and avoid what we could call fake work or fake inner work. Um, I've been asked quite a few times uh, during the, you know, at least 10 or 20 years, um, uh, what makes my inner work work? Uh, it seems that um, people had this feeling that what I did actually worked for me. Um, and they wanted to, to understand what was going on. And as um, time and experience accumulated for me, uh, I began looking at that more and more and trying to um, kind of figure out for myself and for my students and for, my, um, for those people I facilitated um, what it actually was and trying to put it into words. Um, so, this is a series that's going to be devoted to that, okay? And it's alongside all the other exploration and uh, uh, work that I do, okay? Now, everything I will talk about 
uh, here and always um, stems from my own experience, um, from my own work for more than 30 years, maybe even more, and from all those people that I've facilitated and taught and discussed things with and so on and so forth. Um, so it's based on my experience and my opinion. Uh, and of course, it's always, always, always our responsibility to check things out for ourselves and really take nothing for granted, whoever is the speaker uh, or the source of the uh, material. So let's not take anything for granted or as the truth without examining it and verifying it for yourselves. Um, so this applies here too, of course. So we'll begin with what we can call fake work that masquerades as real work. Uh, so many people uh, feel as if they're doing their work while they're reading even very good books, uh, watching stuff on YouTube, doing workshops, and all that can be very nourishing and important. Uh, but all these things can also become what I once uh, called the spiritual seeker's junk food. Um, I wrote an article about it once uh, in Hebrew. Maybe I'll translate it one of these days. So these are things uh, that we do that make us feel as if we're doing the work um, when actually we're not. So we're really uh, fooling ourselves into believing that we are doing the work, but it's not what's actually happening. Because healing and changing and transformation and all of that is not a hobby or something you can just uh, get through listening to stuff or reading stuff or even participating in stuff. Uh, for example, uh, sometimes uh, in my work with inner selves or with identity fields and consciousness bubbles and all sorts of things that I uh, explore, uh, sometimes somebody comes up to me and says, uh, I read your book and I went to your course. And, and it seems to me that they're confusing some of them, of course, um, that, you know, reading my book, for example, uh, with the actual work of getting to know those inner selves or learning to embrace them, to talk to them, uh, learning to, to live with them and enjoy them without identifying with them. Um, and, you know, actually doing the work, finding opposing selves to talk to, uh, healing past selves, and so on and so forth, and developing uh, that thing that I call the aware eye. Um, and all these things really require time and effort and concentration and doing the work for a long time. So you really need to, to find a way to learn how to do the work, whether it's this method or that method, that is besides the point. But finding good ways of doing it. So reading or hearing about stuff is great. But the great work of healing and transformation requires finding a way to actually do it. 
and not only think about it and look at it, etc. And that's why it actually works. A real movement, a real change happens when you actually figure out how to do it. Okay. So uh, again, it's not about thinking about things or knowing things or being fascinated with very deep and, and wise concepts or lovely quotes and wonderful books and edifying YouTube videos and, and Facebook groups that have wonderful discussions in them or gurus or going to the best courses around. And it's also not enough to hang out with like-minded people and think that this will seriously heal or change you. It can be great and it can heal you to some extent. Um, the togetherness or hearing about stuff and so on and so forth. But as far as I can see, it rarely does take you very far. It's not enough. So being a kind of butterfly flying about between YouTube videos and blogs and amazing books and lectures and workshops and courses isn't going to actually work if you don't make whatever method or path you're exploring your own. And actually, even going to therapy or some other form of one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions will only take us so far, okay? Um, things start to really move when we take responsibility, full responsibility for our own process. And the therapy or whatever this one-on-one -on -one sessions are about only assists us on the way. So, so when in therapy or continued one-on-one -on -one work of any kind, I would ask myself, and I recommend that everybody ask him, his self or herself, am I also taking responsibility for my own process? It's a process, of course, because you know, it takes time to, to get to this place where I can take full responsibility. Um, and, you know, for a human being to, to really advance, even in the basic inner work, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. So I think <laughs> that even if you go for therapy, you do therapy for seven years, or you do even psychoanalysis four times a week. It, I, I don't really believe it will take you that far until you begin doing your work yourself at the same time. That doesn't necessarily mean to, to avoid therapy, uh, not at all, but it kind of has to be something that is helping us and not something that we're uh, using as uh, avoiding our responsibility and fig figuring out how to help ourselves. But it's really very, very easy to confuse ourselves um, and to fool ourselves. Uh, it's so easy to say, what do you want? I'm doing my work. I'm going to therapy. I'm paying money. I'm devoting time. Um, but again, as a rule uh, for really deep healing and change, 
uh, it's usually not enough without us gradually learning to, to do the work ourselves. Um, so all these things that I've mentioned, they're not bad at all. They're, they're great and they can be extremely helpful, um, especially, of course, if they're uh, quality books and courses and videos and therapies and whatever. And they do expand our mind um, and our consciousness and they can give us inspiration and support and even hope. Um, but we really have to be, uh, how should I put it, uh, compassionately honest with ourselves. Is anything real actually happening? And I think we need to look at ourselves with a kind eye, but in harsh lighting, and ask ourselves that again and again. And sometimes the answer might be embarrassing. Wow, I've been doing therapy for seven years. And nothing has really, really deeply changed. Um, not necessarily, of course, but worth checking. Very important to do that, I believe. Um, and if, we, if, if our answer to that question is that nothing is really happening or not much is happening, uh, we can you know, give ourselves an understanding hug and start afresh or modify something. Um, and I've been lucky enough to see people start doing their work, their real work, when they were in their 70s. So it's never too late. And it's always, always good to begin. Um, I think uh, another way of putting all this is uh, saying that the difference between thinking about the work and hearing about it and, you know, actually doing it is very much like watching people run and actually running or talking about yoga uh, instead of actually doing yoga. Your muscles won't change significantly if you don't do the actual exercise. And the same is true for our mental and our emotional and spiritual muscles, abilities, and even stamina. You know, how, mu how much work can we do? Um, I think uh, it could be good to, to also mention uh, something that I would like to call uh, perhaps bum and take it easy ideology. Um, there seems to be a sort of ideology sometimes that goes something like uh, um, just letting things be, uh, being with things as they are, which is of course very important to know how to do. Um, but not as a kind of ideology, I believe. Um, not working on yourself, but just allowing yourself to simply be, to flow, to live, enjoy what is, to drift. Okay, so bum and take it easy ideology. ideology. And it's all true in a way. These are all important things to be able to do and to actually do. Um, and, you know, it's part of our... Uh, of our uh, uh, learning to also know how to just drift and to also know how to simply be and not only doing the work. Um, but very often it goes too far. And uh, sometimes it, it could be, uh, in some cases, an ideological cover-up or a diversion trick 
to avoid the actual work um, and the actual development that is possible for us and that's calling us. Um, now, there are also uh, some common mistakes when people do the work. Um, so we're now going to, to look at it from, from a different direction. You know, we can do too much work. <laughs> you know, that would also be problematic. So if I'm advising uh, people to, to find ways of doing their work, I should also uh, warn, from, warn about um, overworking. Um, so the risk of doing too much work on ourselves or becoming obsessive about it is a real risk for some people, uh, especially if it's uh, instead of uh, uh, devoting some time at least to, to having fun and time off and resting and, you know, quality drifting and friendships and stuff like that. Uh, please stay muted. Okay. Um, so we really, really need balance. Um, another possible um, kind of uh, problem that, that can arise actually for, for people who, who decide to do their actual work is uh, uh, beginning to judge ourselves when we don't do the work. Okay, and this can spiral into all sorts of uh, unpleasantness uh, and doesn't really work. So if, if you were doing the work and then you stopped doing the work, just figure out how to get back to it uh, instead of judging yourself. Um, but if we are taking care not to overdo the work, the inner work, um, we still need to apply ourselves and to make an effort and to make time for making the effort. Um, and this can sometimes be very difficult to begin. So we really need to understand ourselves and be patient with ourselves and still find the way to start and follow through. It can really begin with a few minutes a day or maybe an hour a week or something like that. But the truth is in the long run, we will need more time, but we need sometimes to, not sometimes, often, to build it one step at a time. Um, and this type of, of doing the work consistently, uh, even a little bit every day, or to begin with uh, once a week and then maybe twice a week and then maybe twice a week and a little bit of a tiny little thing each morning or something like that uh, becomes little by little a very, very important way of nourishing ourselves. It becomes part of a daily taking care of ourselves routine. Um, and though it becomes a routine like eating, <laughs> feeding ourselves, it's fascinating work. Um, and, and you can understand little by little that it is nourishing. It really, really is nourishing. Um, that is, it's something crucial that we need. Our souls need it. Our bodies need it. We really need it. It's not a pastime. It's not, um, you know, something like, um, I don't know, uh, I can't find an example right now, like, uh, okay, we can go to a movie or not go to a movie. 
but we need to eat. So for me, it's like eating. You know, it's a nourishment that if we lack, we're getting into trouble <laughs> little by little. And if we don't um, avoid it, uh, it's just wonderful to, to learn how to do it and to continue for a long time. Um, so once you understand that it's really, really important um, and that if you don't do it, you'll go hungry in a way or get unwell or stay unwell or stay hungry, uh, then it can become something that's closer to um, just, you know, cooking or, you know, doing eating or showering or doing stuff that you just do. And it becomes a part of your life and a very blessed part of your life because it makes you feel better and better gradually. Okay. Um, once you understand that it's really, really important, then you have to give it an important place in your life. It can't be something that you do only after everything else is done. It can't be something that you say to yourself, I'll do it once I've done the cooking, the laundry, the shopping, the job from nine to five and, and all the rest. Um, it doesn't work that way because you'll never do it. Um, so it's also about figuring, figuring out when to put this thing and to give it enough importance in your life. Just as you would not skip eating for very long, let's say, um, you just learn to do it. And, and once you feel the uh, accumulating goodness of it, it gets a little bit easier to sustain. Um, now, if you look at things from a perspective that says that we all have many parts naturally in us uh, or many inner selves, um, it becomes easier to understand how some of these selves run our lives and how some of them may be at war with others. Um, now, nowadays, uh, I think most people who are listening today uh, know something about my work or have heard about inner selves in some form or other. Um, but for, for those who don't, uh, it can be very, very, very often is uh, the case that one part in us is doing battle with another. So many parts can be at war and, and one side can say, uh, let's do the work. It's important. It's great. And the other can say, no way. I'm not doing this. You know, I'm dead against it. Go away. Um, and there are very good ways to, to work with this very, very natural situation um, that I think everybody who's beginning or continuing to do the work uh, faces those inner sides in us that just don't want us to do the work for various reasons. Uh, and one of the really, really good ways um, to do that 
is, um, is through a method called voice dialogue. Um, and voice dialogue, uh, just looking on the internet, you'll find a, a lot of, uh, of material about voice dialogue. Uh, the founders of voice dialogue are Hal and Sidra Stone. So check out uh, and see if you can find them. And this work really, really helps uh, figure out how to uh, do the work, although some parts in us resist it. Okay. Um, now, when I was 13 um, and up to about age 23 or 24, um, I was going through a very, very long period, which could be called, as sometimes uh, we call it, uh, a dark night of the soul. Ten years of something that was, uh, um, you know, I, I could call it a depression. Um, I suffered for, for many, many years. Ten years of self-loathing, not feeling anything, um, hopelessness. You know, it was a really, really tough time. Um, but there were some periods or times or moments during this uh, uh, ten-year-old, uh, ten-year-long nightmare, I should say. Um, there were moments of creativity here and there when I would either paint or draw or write poetry. Um, and when I was about 20, I wrote a short poem. I, I, I was in the university then, I'm quite sure. Uh, and, uh, and it went like this. At night, the telephone company men dig for gold. And in a dark case, a trombone turns. A light yawn waits at the door of the bobs. I'll read it again and then I'll tell you why I brought up this uh, poem from more than 50, 30 years ago. Um, at night, the telephone company men dig for gold and in a dark case, a trombone turns. A light yawn waits at the door of the bulbs. Um, apart from the um, artistic aspect of poetry uh, and my poems um, and what I know about them um, when I write them, and of course, I often know quite a lot about why I write, what I write and how I write. But I always, in my case, discover that they are also saying and even foretelling things that I cannot fathom at the time that I write them. And in this case, um, at that time, and that was clear to me at that period, I was living the end of the poem. A light yawn waits at the door of the bulbs. Um, everything for me was stripped of magic and of meaning, of interest. Everything was kind of a, a yawn of dull, expected, cold, electric white light. Um, it was all dead to me. It only looked alive, or other people seemed to be alive, but not me. And I was in sort of uh, kind of very, very flat existence at that time. Uh, 
But the first part of the poem was whispering something very, very different to me. Uh, and it took many years for me to, to understand, you know, what it was all about. And I think some of it I'm only getting right now in a way, uh, not that I didn't comprehend a lot about this poem before, and I remembered it in my mind for, for all these years since then, but still, I think working on preparing this series, I got something else. And, um, the first big part of the poem says, I'll, I'll read it again, uh, at night, the telephone company men dig for gold, and in a dark case, a trombone turns. And then it goes, a light yawn waits at the door of the bulbs. And for me, among other things, <clears throat> excuse me, um, this is what the poem told me. Uh, it told me that it's night now, and I'm going through a dark night of the soul. And I'm in a terrible place, really terrible. And it seems as if it will never end, and I'm hopeless. But the telephone company men are digging, and they're working within you. And you are somehow learning to dig for gold, or you will learn to dig for gold within yourself, within life, even if you haven't the slightest idea how to do so right now, which I hadn't. And the telephone company, I, I realized that it has to do with connection, with being connected. Um, and at that time I was so separate from myself and from everything else. Um, I was so alone kind of in, in a very deep way. It doesn't matter if I had friends or not. I was intensely lonely in, in, in a deep way um, and very, very disconnected from myself and from everything else. So there was a hint for the future in there for me, the gold of connection to oneself and to others and to the world and to life. And it kind of promises that if I do the work, if I dig at night, that too will be found. Now there's uh, another line there, the trombone in the dark case. Um, I'll read it again. Um, and in a dark case, a trombone turns. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, a, a golden thing, an object that can make music a trombone. Again, this golden hue, uh, but here it's still encased. It's closed in a dark case. So it can't make music and it can't be seen and it seems to be kind of sleeping, but it turns like somebody sleeping or about to wake up. And there's a feeling that it's alive and will wake up at some point and make music. Not yet. But perhaps if I learn to dig for gold, which I did, I will get to the gold and to the music. Um, and that, amongst other things, was somehow something that I was unconsciously telling myself as I was kind of digging for that poem or as it appeared within me 30-something uh, uh, years ago. 
Um, and in the end, uh, even though it took at least three more years for me to get myself out of that uh, 10-year-old uh, depression and start doing my work, um, so it took at least three more years, but I listened somehow and I learned to do the real work, the real digging for gold and for connection. And, and I know that it's possible for all of us. It can sometimes be extremely hard work, uh, but it's very, very, very nourishing work to do. And there are plenty of people that can help on, on the way and plenty of good books and courses and YouTube videos and all the rest. And I'm really well aware of the possible irony in uh, me doing this video and this talk with you and, uh, and, and, and knowing that some viewers in the future or now uh, may use this video in just the same way that we have been discussing and kind of instead of doing the work, just saying, ah, cool, <laughs> no, something like that. So I really hope it doesn't go that way. Um, and um, I choose to be optimistic and, uh, and trust. Um, and of course, I know many people who are here now that are actually doing their work. So um, we'll take a, a few seconds break. And, uh, and then if you like, we can have um, uh, some time for questions or discussion or things like that. So hang on just a second. <laughs> 